Amid the various monsters and maniacs of modern cinema, the fact that William Friedkin's film adaptation of a minor Catholic superstition not only became one of the highest, consistently rated horror movies of all time, but that it inspired a whole new subgenre via a slew of inferior imitations, is astounding. A horror film with relatively little gore, it is nevertheless terrifying because of Blatty's and Friedkin's shared understanding of basic human fears, the things that we imagine to be the demons in our life, and more than that, the human condition's inability to reliably face, much less overcome, those fears. Hey, gays and ghouls. I'm Sean Reedy. And I'm Katie Tool. And this is Friday Night Frights. A podcast about righteousness, sacrifice, and cervical instability. Yes. Cervicals are unstable. Unstable cervicals. And Sean, <laughs> do you know what today is? What is today? Today is an excellent day for an exorcism. <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> What's beautiful is I was not at all expecting that. And I don't know why, because I literally just watched this film. Um, and also I know you, so. Uh, <laughs> an excellent oh, day for an exorcism. It's an excellent day. You end up. Oh, um, an exorcism. Um, yes. So tonight we're doing The Exorcist. If you couldn't tell. If you can tell, because it is indeed an excellent day for an exorcism. It is. Oh, this beautiful film. This beautiful film. I don't know about you, but, like, trying to, like, write down, like, everything that I wanted to write down about this movie, it took up more pages than I have taken up for any movie. Right. Yeah, I mean, this is a big one. Yeah. This is a big one for sure. Um we'll have to be really good, specifically me, because I'm really bad at summarizing things. Be really good about summarizing the plot because that can take up a solid two hours on its own. Right. Yeah. And, you know, this is a little bit like the Shining episode where we're like trying, we're going to try real hard not to make it eight hours long. Yes. But we can't promise anything. We're not making any promises. No. I mean, shit. The uh, last episode. The Lodge. The Lodge was an hour and 45 minutes. Right. Let me tell you how many fucks I give about it. None. Listen to it. It's beautiful. <laughs> listen to it it's beautiful it's beautiful it's beautiful it's a wonderful episode but first it is shock tale oh see that feels so much better we're back in the same room it's so wonderful to be back together so again tonight's shock tale is called the power of spice compels you <laughs> <laughs> Katie, I I I have to applaud Katie for this because she thought up of this name and I think it's my favorite shocktail name that has been created so far. It's certainly the longest. <laughs> so what you're gonna do is you're gonna take a blender. Alright. 
You're going to get yourself four tomatillos. You're going to remove the husks off that bad, those bad boys because they are not tasty. You're going to get uh, no bueno. about four ounces of chopped pineapple. So, like, I bought an eight ounce, like, just can of, um, like, pineapple chunks and put about half of the pineapple in the blender and all of the juice that was in the can as well. So you've got your tomatillos, you got your pineapple. You're going to take a jalapeno. You're going to take out the seeds. Um, if you want it to be spicier, you can add more jalapeno if you want. Uh, a couple of cloves of garlic. And sort of a handful of cilantro. And the juice of a lime. You're going to chop all of that up, put it in the blender, and blend it until it's very smooth. Now, I did not strain mine because, like, I kind of like the kind of smoothie consistency that I got from it. But you can absolutely strain it if you want it to be, like, 100% just liquid. You're going to add salt and cumin to taste. Really, like, however much you like. Um, and a third of a cup of tequila, which is the important part that recipe like what i just told you all it made like a a full blender of this drink so like there's your party right there the exorcist was released in 1973 it was based on a 1971 novel by william peter blatty he also adapted the film for the screen and produced it uh, Bill Friedkin, who had won the Oscar the year before for The French Connection, directed it. Um, it stars Ellen Burstyn, Jason Miller, Max von Sydow, uh, J. Lee Cobb? Lee J. Cobb. Lee J. Cobb. Mm -hmm. yeah, so close. Lee J. Cobb and, of course, Linda Blair. Linda Blair. This film is really unlike any that we've talked about so far. Mm -hmm. Because there haven't really been any movies that we have talked about so far, even The Shining, that garnered praise immediately. Yeah. Like, everything, it has been sort of a, like, yeah, it was fine. Or it was awful. Mm -hmm. right. <laughs> One or the other. <laughs> Both can be enjoyable. Mm -hmm. Um this film was nominated for 10 Oscars. That's a lot of Oscar nominations for a film of any genre. Unheard of for a horror film. In yeah. fact, this was the first horror film that was nominated for Best Picture. Mm -hmm. Did not win. Should have. But. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't even care what the other nominees were. They did win for uh, Best Adapted Screenplay and Sound yeah. Editing. But. I which, mean. Very valid. Well deserved. Yeah. yeah. Like, the. The writing for um, William Peter Blatty and then the sound. I mean, I don't know how they could have given the sound award to any other movie. Because the sound in this movie is just like spectacular. Yeah. So. Well, and uh, I mean, so like speaking of like opening, they mm -hmm. so the budget was 11 million, mm -hmm. right? They made almost all of that back 
opening weekend. Yeah. People lined up around the block to see this movie. Mm-hmm. And like, this was released in the winter. I was just going to say, <laughs> it was released on December 26th. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, nice family Christmas film. Yeah. Bring the, bring the kids along. Bring the kids along. And people did, which was a problem. Yeah. <laughs> see, this was before. So I think it's it's... It's interesting to think of now, but there there didn't really used to be that much separation until the end of the 60s and into the mm-hmm. 70s. There wasn't that much separation between films that were appropriate for children and films that were not. Yep. Like, the entire family went to the movies to see whatever movie was showing at the, like, one, two, four screens that their local movie mm-hmm. theater had. Mm-hmm. And so there were a great many children. And, like... So people took their kids to see this movie because it had a child in it. So it must be a children's right. movie. Like, no, no. No, no. 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 <laughs> they had a hell of a time casting for Reagan. Yes. <laughs> well, they had a hell of a time casting for everyone. Right. Like, this This movie almost didn't get made. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact that it was based on a best-selling novel. Like, mm-hmm. The Exorcist did very well as a novel. Mm-hmm. Like, it was a well-known book. And again, I reiterate, they had a, they had attached Bill Friedkin to di- to direct, and right. he, he had directed the French Connection, which was a huge hit, and won a bunch of Oscars. Right. <laughs> and everyone was like, "Yeah, no, we're not making this movie. <laughs> <laughs> like, not gonna happen." So, um, but as, especially casting it, um, and and not even necessarily. Not everyone who turned them down was because of the subject matter. Some of them were. Some of them were like, no, no. This is not, this is no bueno. Or, or like, yeah. the people didn't understand how they were going to make this movie, mm-hmm. having read the novel. Right. Like, how how are you going to pull this off? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, for, for Chris McNeil alone, they went through three other offers before they got to Ellen Burstyn. I love that she was cast in this. Mm-hmm. Ellen Burstyn is such a great I actress. mean, she's a great actress. She's a great actress, but at the time, she wasn't a huge star. No, she was not. So, first, they asked Audrey Hepburn, mm-hmm. who was like, I will do it if you shoot the movie in Rome. Because she lived in Rome at the right. time. And Friedkin was like, yeah, no. <laughs> not gonna happen we're not gonna do that it's set in washington dc um right <laughs> audrey um like, so audrey happened no. was first then joanne woodward mm-hmm. now i will say it would have been kind of fun if joanne woodward had been cast in this um because the other big movie and the movie that was like the main other contender at the academy awards that year was the sting and the sting stars Paul Newman, and so it would have been kind of fun if Joanne Woodward, who was his wife, right. um, was in, like, the other big movie of the year. Uh, but I don't I don't think anyone would have played this role better than Ellen Burstyn. Yeah, she has, a, she has an incredible ability to, like, project emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, Joanne Woodward was pregnant. Yeah, that would not be a good time. No. 
she could not she literally couldn't do some of the things that happened right they wouldn't have been able to do it yeah at all um thrown to the ground so it's (laughs) yeah thrown to the ground the shaking bed i mean like there's there's not a doctor in the world that would have signed off on that for for a pregnant woman Mm. um and then they asked jane fonda (laughs) i mean whom I just adore. I I mean, she's I, wonderful. Like, I love everything about Jane Fonda. I don't think she would have been a good fit for the role. No. And also, she turned them down because it was a, in her words, piece of clap, capitalist ripoff bullshit. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like Jane Fonda. <laughs> sounds like Jane Fonda. Um, so... Finally, Burstyn actually. So, r- really, what's hilarious is that most of the cast of this film cast themselves, right? Burstyn yeah. called Friedkin and was like, "I was born to play this role. Let me play this role." And he was like, "Well, mm-hmm. fine. I mean, nobody fucking else." Right. And Warner Brothers did not want Burstyn. They wanted a bigger name. Um, I I think I read, or no, I guess it was. They also didn't want Linda Blair. <laughs> I believe when when uh, Friedkin told them about Linda Blair, uh, the head of the studio actually like got down on the floor and said that he would cast her over his dead body. I mean, and I'm so glad that she was cast because she did a phenomenal job in that she role. She did. I mean, like she is Reagan, right? Like, well, and and I know that they tried. They, I mean, they tried casting. Like there was like two thousand other girls that they tried casting mm-hmm. for this role, and and I mean it's there's so much that she has to go through mm-hmm. that like you need to make sure that you don't fuck up someone's mind from this right. movie. Yeah. I mean, it is. Yeah. Well, um, and you know, I mean, there are, you know, there are a number of, of body doubles and, and right. But, oh, absolutely. But still it's like the, you can only shield the, the actual child from so much right you know what I mean well and it's funny like and so to touch on the fact that like Ellen Burstyn cast mm-hmm. herself Reagan and her mother walked into the casting office had no appointment just came mm-hmm. in and were like here I am I'm I'm here for this role and they end up asking her like these are some of the things you're gonna have to do do mm-hmm. you know what they are yeah do you know what masturbation is mm-hmm. And she's like, uh, yeah. Yeah. Isn't it jerking off? <laughs> yeah. like, I thought that was a funny. Right? She's like, do you know what it is? <laughs> right? Like, not a baby. Like, I am 13. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, yeah, that's a, that's, that's a funny story. It's just like, if that doesn't, if that doesn't convince you that this like spunky little kid should be in the movie. Um, they were going to cast Brando as Father Marin, which is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Like, they're no. just, like, the sheer amount of, of like, scenery chewing there would have been. Like, I, it's not, yeah, no. not good. Um, I mean, Brando's you know, oh. one of the best, but, like, right. it's just not, it's too quiet a world for yeah, him. Yeah, no. Uh, Max von Sydow was, was well cast in this. And it's funny, I didn't realize that he actually had prosthetics on. He was only 43 when he was cast in this. Yes, that's true. And he was uh, supposed to look like he was in his, what, like... 70s? 60s, 70s, yeah. Yeah, I think. Like, so I... They did such a great job with the makeup. Yeah, it's like... He was in Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, Mm -hmm. right? 
Um, and I remember when that movie came out being like, Max von Sydow still alive? Right, because he looks... Because, like, you think that he's been 80 for 40 years, and you're like, what the fuck is happening? Right. You're like, wait, 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 wait. You look it up, wait just like, a minute. how old was he in The Exorcist? Right. Not very old. He was not very old at all. So, and funny thing, so I wanted to throw out, I'm sure that you already saw this too, mm-hmm. but um, but the actor, quote unquote, that played Father Dyer was William, o- William O'Malley, mm-hmm. who was actually... Yeah, actually a priest. A priest. Yeah. And that was his, this is his only acting role he ever did. Uh-huh. And it's funny because I thought that he actually did a pretty damn good job. And he did really good at, like, playing, like, in a way, like, the... Like, the, the naughty su- priest. Yeah. yeah. Like, he's the one that fucking stole mm-hmm. liquor from the, uh... Who was it? The... Like the head of the yeah, president the, of something. Yeah, the <laughs> dean or something. I don't know, but but yeah, he he stole Chivas Regal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, all things. Um, I w- I kind of wish that he had a little bit of a bigger role in the film. To be quite honest. Yeah, I love. I mean, Dyer is one of my favorite characters. Yeah. And, and like, I I don't know if I mean obviously the fact that it's a real priest. like complicates this a little bit but like i always read father dyer as queer yeah and so i don't know if that was intentional i don't know on the part of right and that's why i say like him being a real priest Mm -hmm. complicates that a little bit if he had been like a you know because that's not allowed right exactly it's like would that you know god forbid right literally Literally. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's interesting. Well, like there were, there was quite a few of, there was another priest, the, the president of Georgetown. Um, yes. Was also played by an actual priest. Mm-hmm. Well, in the, the, so it's funny that you mentioned that uh-huh. <laughs> because the actual president of Georgetown and mm-hmm. like in real life, when, uh, when they were writing the movie, mm-hmm gave uh William Friedkin mm-hmm. so okay so let me backtrack a little bit okay so like of course when William Peter Blatty 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 was um when William Peter Blatty was writing this novel mm-hmm. he was basing it on an actual exorcism of a of a young boy right mm-hmm. um that took place in like the 40s yep, so 49 yes and he uh he ended up changing it because he couldn't get enough information about this exorcism, right? Mm-hmm. So, also, like, the family ended up asking him to change the gender of the child that is possessed in the book to female to help protect the identity of the kid that was right, possessed, right? Right, exactly the same. hmm And, uh, I'm like, let me actually, like, get to this point because I, I'm like, I took notes! I took notes on this! And yes, 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 yes. Okay. So, um, the, so he changed the information, right? But he still wanted to get more of this information on the exorcism to help write his story, just Mm -hmm. to get it to be more accurate, an accurate representation of what an exorcism really is. What the ritual is. Yeah. Um, the president, the actual president of Georgetown, uh, Reverend Robert J. Hurd, Hennel. I wrote that really poorly. I, I believe it's Henley. Okay. We're going to go back at that. Robert J. Henley. Uh-huh. Um, 
<laughs> I'm really good at writing. I wrote really fast when I was doing this. Um, he actually gave uh, Fredkin uh, this folder that had all these diary entries from the priest. Um, Hallerod was one of the two priests that actually performed this exorcism. Mm-hmm. And he gave him a folder that had all of his diary entries about it. Wow. And um, like eyewitness accounts of the exorcism as well. Mm-hmm. Like that's insane. I'm like y'all. You like, you're like here you go. Have right? fun. Thanks for filming in my town. Right? Yeah. <laughs> here you can use my university. You can use my yeah. Um, have at it. Although like Blatty was a student in Georgetown. Yes. So um, it it could be that there was you know it was there was like a that they might have known each other. Yeah. Previously, and that's why he was so open. Mm-hmm. With he like him. had like, the end, and he knew that he would you know sort of be respectful of the church. Mm-hmm. Um. In, in the novel. Right. Uh, and fun fact, that boy that had the exorcism and everything grew up normal, had a normal life, mm-hmm. and retired from NASA. <laughs> Do we know that? Yep. The boy that had the exorcism performed on him, that this novel is based on, retired from NASA. Huh. Uh-huh. Do you have a name? Nope. Oh. So... That's interesting. I did not know that. Really yeah, I know that. that. I know that they all, all they call him is Roland Doe. Mm-hmm. Um, which is I always thought was funny, like to call him Roland Doe because it sounds like like Roland and Doe. Roland Doe, because I mean, he helped make people roll in some dough. I mean, for that's real. for sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, really quick, just to mm-hmm. um, the actual priest that performed the exorcism in the in 1949 was father william bowdern and will william halloran okay who was the president of georgetown who had the journal entries that the president of georgetown gave i see okay yes. okay right mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. yeah fun cool. facts all around fun facts all around <laughs> well i mean there's so much about this movie oh yeah i mean it's um all right, so here's what happens in The Exorcist. <laughs> yeah. If you haven't seen it. Right, 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 right. Again, it's been 40 years, so get on it. Mm-hmm. Um, in many ways, the main character of this film is actually Chris McNeil. Yes. Like, I would say that the, the two main characters are Chris, Mc, Chris McNeil and Damien Karras. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris McNeil is played by Ellen Burstyn. She is an actress, quite well known. Mm-hmm. Um, you get the impression in the film that she's, you know, wealthy and famous. And mm-hmm. I mean, at the end of the movie, Kinderman asks for her autograph or not in the end of the movie. Oh in, yeah. Like, the middle of the movie. When he comes after Dennings died, when he comes, mm-hmm. uh, to like investigate, he asks Chris McNeil for her autograph. Mm-hmm. Oh, and in the beginning of the movie, she's invited to the white uh, house, the white house. Right. Yes. And the, definitely a throw into, mm-hmm. and there's it- like a crowd of people, um, gathering to like, you know see her in the when they're filming the movie Mm -hmm. so she is staying in washington dc in in uh this nice townhouse in georgetown because she is filming a movie Mm -hmm. at the university like on location Mm -hmm. um she has with her uh her housekeeper Mm -hmm. her gardener slash maintenance man right uh, her nanny and her daughter. Mm-hmm. Her daughter, Reagan, actually 
turns 12 at the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. It's her birthday. Very early in the film. Um, she and her husband are going through a pretty nasty divorce. And he is, ironically, in Rome. Um, <laughs> right. So, you know, if, if he was, if it was based where he was living, they could have, Audrey Hepburn could have been in the movie. There is sort of instability in their lives, right? Which is one of the things that leads Chris initially to believe that Reagan acting out is simply like, you know, an expression of of her unhappiness about this instability. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so they're in this house. Reagan finds a Ouija board. She begins communicating with a quote-unquote spirit, whom, of course, Chris assumes is just an imaginary friend. Right. Called Captain Happy. Mm-hmm. Which is one of my favorite parts of this film. Because the <laughs> idea that this ancient Assyrian demon <laughs> right. is calling himself Captain Howdy. He's just, like, pulling words out of them. Like, uh, sure. <laughs> Captain. Howdy. Howdy. <laughs> Yay, that's me. Um, and, and strange things start happening, mm-hmm. right? Um, Reagan is having violent mood swings. Uh, Chris is having a party at one point, and... Reagan comes downstairs, like she's been sent to bed, right? But the party's still going on. She comes downstairs. There's an astronaut there who she uh, tells that he's going to die during his next mission. And then she urinates on the floor. Right. Right. Um, Things start moving. There's all kinds of weird noises in the attic. The bed starts shaking. (laughs) One of my favorite lines is when, like, Chris has to get up early, like really early to go film something and she turns over and Reagan's in her bed and she's like, what are you doing here? And Reagan's like, my bed was shaking. Right. <laughs> like, wait, what? And like, <laughs> and it's such a, because it's so like, if a child said that, you'd be like, yeah, sure. Right. Like it's, it's such like, a genuine moment because like Ellen Burstyn is just like, Reagan, like, like, <laughs> <laughs> Like, clearly you're, you're a child who's lying because you just wanted to sleep here, and so you had to come right. up with a reason why you mm-hmm. couldn't sleep in your own bed. Which is a thing. It's a normal thing. Oh, my kids God. It's that. absolutely a thing. Yeah. Like, the kids lie their heads off mm-hmm. all the time. Chris becomes very concerned after the, the incident at the party mm-hmm. and starts um, taking Reagan to doctors. Mm-hmm. A battery of tests are performed, various diagnostics, including a cerebral angiography, mm-hmm. um, which is... One of the most famous scenes in the movie for two reasons. Mm-hmm. The first reason is um, it's an incredibly, like, accurate depiction of this procedure. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way the procedure is being performed, while extremely accurate for 1973, that's not the way the procedure is performed anymore. Right. So um, it's actually used as, like, this scene is used by... It used to be used by medical schools to, like, demonstrate the procedure. And now it's used by, like, medical historians to demonstrate the way the procedure used to be done. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's one of the scenes that people find the most disturbing 
because it just looks so painful. It looks it and so realistic. And the sound. Yes. Again, like there's a reason that this movie won the Oscar for best mm-hmm. sound because the the sound of that machine mm-hmm. is just like bone chilling. The second reason that's a very famous scene <laughs> is because the technician who is administering the test uh-huh. to Reagan in that scene was an actual radiographer who worked at that hospital who um, Friedkin had met when he was scoping the location and was just like, hey, you actually know how to work this machine. Like, could you just be in the movie? And he was like, yeah, sure. That man's name is Paul Bateson, and he is a convicted murderer and suspected serial killer. Like, mm-hmm. I won't say he is a serial killer because he was only convicted of the one. Right. But he is a convicted murderer and a suspected serial killer. And if he actually committed all of the murders that he is suspected of, he had already killed when this film was made. Mm-hmm. So just, it's it's one of those things, you know, there's so much about this movie that's like about it being a cursed set and right. about like the people who died and the accidents that happened in the fire and the freezer and all the things, right? Um, and, and one of them, which is actually like 100% true, it just adds to the sort of overall eeriness of the whole thing is mm-hmm. that there is a there is a convicted murderer. Right. Just like hanging out in the movie. <laughs> just happens to be in there. Just like just just being just doing his job. Right. Um but yeah. That's that's an interesting story. Mm-hmm. So the tests of course find nothing. Right. Right. Raven's behavior is getting worse. She stops eating. Um, She starts speaking in this weird... um, She starts speaking in this, like, weird tones of voice and Mm -hmm. making all these crazy noises. Um, The voice, of course, with which we are most familiar during the possession scenes, is, of course, not a 13-year-old girl. No, no, no. Um... It is Mercedes McCambridge, mm-hmm. who is like this legendary <laughs> radio actress. What? I just, no, I was going to add to that. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, no, no. Continue with what you were saying. I mean, that's all. Oh. She's just a legendary, she's just like a legendary <laughs> radio actress and like voiceover actress. And... So, well, it's, so I looked a little bit more into her recording that. Mm-hmm. So she is, um, I mean, as plenty of people are, uh, uh, alcoholic she went to aa she's a recovering alcoholic she's been off she had not drank alcohol for years mm-hmm. um and she actually was uh she had become very religious mm-hmm. when she stopped drinking right Happens. so uh when they approached her to do the voice of uh pazuzu mm-hmm. she's like they didn't think that she was going to do it when they told her or when she took, they didn't think that she was going to do it when she was like, you know, I've been, I've been off of alcohol for all this mm-hmm. time. And if I do this, I'm going to drink again. It's going to happen. Really? Mm-hmm. I mean, cause she did. She sure did. She, uh, well, that was the thing They were like, Oh, just, okay. So she's not gonna do it. She's like, Oh no, I'm doing it. You're going to give me cigarettes. I'm going to drink eggs to give me uh-huh. that mucusy voice, mm-hmm. bunch of cigarettes, and a ton of alcohol. Yep. Whiskey. Whiskey. And the eggs. Mm-hmm. To get that voice. And 
every time that she would finish a scene recording, mm-hmm. she would like, so the, her, um, her thing that she requested basically demanded was that she was able to have two priests with her that she knew mm-hmm. while she's recording mm. as support. Okay. She would record what she would do, whatever voice voice over work she was doing mm-hmm. and just burst into tears. Wow. With these priests. So, while she is recording a demonic voice, she's dealing with her own personal demons. Mm. Well done. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so here's my favorite tidbit about mm-hmm. uh, the Mercedes McCambridge thing. So, she was not credited. No, and she should originally. have been. She absolutely should have been. There are... There are... There's debate as to why she wasn't credited. Some, like... Friedkin claimed that she asked not to be credited mm-hmm. because she didn't want her name associated with the film. Right. I call bullshit on that. Yeah. But also, here's my favorite thing. So Linda Blair was nominated for an Oscar. She mm-hmm. was one of the 10 Oscars uh, nominations, right? Mm-hmm. She was nominated for Best Supporting Actress. She lost to Tatum O'Neill, which is hilarious to me because it's like Tatum O'Neill was 10. And Linda mm-hmm. Blair was 14 right. at the time, right? And it's so, like, it's, you know, the, the battle of the... Either one of them would have been the youngest... Either one of them would have been the youngest winner of a competitive Oscar ever. Mm-hmm. Um, if either one of them won. And then, of course, Tatum O'Neill ended up winning. Um, but there was controversy after the nominations came out because people, quote, found out that Mercedes McCambridge did the voice work for the demon. And, like, there was this big controversy because, like, she hadn't been credited, so no one knew she was in the movie. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, did you all think that that voice was actually coming from a 13-year-old girl? Like, right. it's pretty clear she's not doing the voice. Right. Like, even if you didn't know it was Mercedes McCambridge, you still should have known it wasn't Linda Blake. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. I like it's I would think it was just like the wording of the article I was reading was kind of odd on that, but like I read it in several places. Yeah. That like that was like that as the rumors spread that Mercedes McCambridge had done the voice that people like started sort of objecting to Linda Blair being nominated for the Oscar and I'm just like, did you watch the movie? She she did the acting. I mean, she did the acting. She didn't do all of the voice acting, but she, she didn't did... do all the acting, but like her face was there. But also, like, did you think she was doing that voice? Right. Like, that voice hardly sounds like a grown woman. Right. Much less a little girl, mm-hmm. right? Like, Mercedes McCambridge had to just destroy her voice to do that voice. Mm-hmm. Why did you think it was... <laughs> anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, meanwhile, mm-hmm. while Chris is searching for rational, medically-based explanations and solutions for her daughter's ailment Mm -hmm. we are introduced to damien karras Mm -hmm. damien karras is a psychologist and a jesuit priest who is the sort of um staff psychologist at georgetown Mm -hmm. and he has lost his faith his mother is ill she at one point passes He feels an incredible amount of guilt for 
for taking his vocation because he feels like if he had not, if he had done something else with his life, he could be supporting her in a way that he can't as a priest who's taken a vow of poverty. Right. Like, right. He doesn't have, he has nothing. Right. Because. And his uncle doesn't help with that either. Cause when he's, when they're going to yeah, go see his like, mother. Gee, thanks uncle. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's like, like, if you've you been were... a boxer. Right. It's like, how about you go fuck yourself? Right. It's like, <laughs> what, what, what good is that comment now? Right. You know what I mean? Like she's already sick. Right. Like, but yeah, it was like, you should be in some private hospital, not here. Like, shut up. Um, yeah, that was like a, that was like a, you know, a little glimpse into the type of, of sort of guilt tripping that Karis was used to. And like, it, right. it's, it's actually, it's actually a brilliant little like interaction to put into the movie just because mm-hmm. it like, it does highlight that these, these feelings of guilt and these, um, conflicting, thoughts about his vocation mm-hmm. are deep-seated yes right they go all the way back mm-hmm. um and why you do this to me dimmy why you do this to me dimmy <laughs> no why why you do this to me dimmy <laughs> mama we're getting you out of here sorry <laughs> i could recite this film from beginning to end um we had actually already been introduced to the other priests. So Father Marin mm-hmm. um, is an archaeologist. In addition to being like a senior member of the clergy and someone who has performed exorcisms before, mm-hmm. he's working in northern Iraq mm-hmm. um, searching for you know, a- ancient Mesopotamian artifacts. He comes across a statue of Pazuzu mm-hmm. who is never named no, they do. They never do name him. Do they, they don't name him. In fact, it's just a tiny bit inconsistent. It's either inconsistent or it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm not sure which because I like I couldn't really I I didn't see this information sort of laid out explicitly. But Reagan claims to be the devil. Right. Right. So mm-hmm. they are either doing this sort of like meta thing where it's like obviously the king of the demons that like the how do I explain this. They're either doing this sort of meta thing where they're sort of tying Pazuzu, the the king, who was a real, I mean, that's like a real mm-hmm. um, entity, right? Like, uh, he was he was the king of Assyrian demons. Mm-hmm. So, like, whether they are sort of tying the, like, Christian idea of the devil to this ancient Assyrian idea of this demonic king, right? And, like, to... to to sort of establish some through line of evil that goes all the way back to the beginnings of civilization, mm-hmm. right? And that we just have different names for him and we just have have different ideas about him, but it's been consistent the whole time. That would be the brilliant one. Right. The other one, it could just be like a continuity error. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure which, to be honest. I mean, I'm fine with either one. Or or they like just decided, because they never named the demon, that they just decided that it was Pazuzu later. And, right. And like when they were writing the movie, they were like, yeah, it's the devil. And then later they were like, no, it's, it's this other thing. It's this other thing. Um, well, and when they find they when they find the actual like um, statue, they find that yeah they they end up finding the medallion, and they specifically point out that that medallion is much newer. Yes, that that was not con- that was not consistent with the mm-hmm. age of everything else there. Right. So, 
Yeah, so maybe it is. Maybe it is supposed to like be tying this sort of um tying this sort of like idea of evil through you know, that transcends above culture and right. above above religion where it's just like this this general force. Well, and I could see like in a way with their interpretation of Pazuzu with them being the the king of demons Mm -hmm. that they interpret him being the devil that's what i'm saying yeah right like is is that the sort of through line that they are drawing yes is that you know the devil that that this creature that this force that this entity Mm -hmm. has always existed right we just call him different things Mm -hmm. right um but yeah i've i've always found that interesting fun fact i've actually meant met uh well we have both met linda blair yes we can post pictures of us at motor city nightmares with linda blair i definitely smacked sean when i saw her (laughs) yeah she did (laughs) i remember it happening i was like like, (laughs) he was like ow ow i see her (laughs) she's right there (laughs) we were like third in line it's not like she was far away no (laughs) she was six feet in front of us yeah um but i also met uh Island, Island? No, that's not her name. Eileen Dietz. <laughs> I also met Eileen Dietz at Motor City Nightmares. But in addition to Linda Blair, Eileen, uh, why do I keep saying Island? <laughs> Apparently I need a vacation. Um, I mean. I mean. Eileen um, Dietz, who played um, Reagan's body double. Mm-hmm. Right. And in, in the scenes that they felt were too violent for Linda Blair to perform as a little child, which, you know, there were plenty of them. Oh, yeah. Um, which also added actually to the controversy of her being nominated for the Oscar. Right. Linda Blair, just because it wasn't just Mercedes McCambridge. It was a number of different like there. And Eileen, Eileen Dietz wasn't the only body double either. Like there was just like there were a lot of people who played Reagan. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but, you know. It's it's kind of nitpicky and assholeish, either way. But what she also was, and perhaps even more, you know, explicitly and better known for, is one day they were like, "Okay, here you come here," and they put a bunch of makeup on her, and she became the face of the demon. Mm-hmm. So like when in those like the famous subliminal images that are not subliminal, subliminal because you can see them. <laughs> right. Well. <laughs> And that's the fun- so that's the thing though is that like in the original when they originally released this movie they were supposed to be subliminal, you weren't supposed to actually see them when you right. watched it on like VHS. Right. It was once it got to DVD that they are truly visible. You can literally just stop it and pause it right on that face. Right. Yeah. It's just it just shows up. Well, and and if I'm not mistaken, in the like the director's cut version of it, they if add there's it. More. Yes. Yeah. In the director's cut, there are more. Mm-hmm. There's really only I think two times that you see the face yeah in in the original uh, in the theatrical release i think it's it's when uh karis is dreaming about his mother yep uh it flashes for a second and then there's a a moment during the exorcism itself Mm -hmm. where raven sort of turns her head and the face flashes onto hers Mm -hmm. and then she turns away and it's but it's it's they they um they sprinkle it in a few more times in in the director's cut Mm -hmm. version you've never seen Right. It also, of course, has the spider walk. Right. Just, I don't know why they didn't include that in the original. It's a good scene. Uh, Freakin' didn't like it. 
Well, freaking is freaking. Freaking. So stop it. <laughs> so he felt it was too much too early. Well, that's fair because doesn't that happen around the party, the time of the party or something, or it not happens, shortly after? It happens as soon as they tell Chris that Burke is dead. Right. She's like, "Oh no, that guy leaves." Mm-hmm. The the assistant director who told her that he was dead leaves. Mm-hmm. She turns around and Reagan's walking downstairs. Or walking, quote unquote, walking downstairs. Right. I mean, it's fair because it does it does point in the direction of being possessed earlier. Right. That than this all is of the absolutely other a possession. Mm-hmm. Right. Whereas, you know, without it there's more of a sort of like ambiguousness to like mm-hmm. what exactly is going on with this right. child. Um, Which makes the doctor like, I feel like including that scene would make the doctors look even more dumb. Yeah. Well, the doctors suggesting an exorcism mm-hmm. is like, are you fucking kidding me? Like here. So you think this child's delusional. Right. And your solution is to feed her delusion. Mm hmm. What the fuck? <laughs> They're like, well, you know what? It might work. I mean, you know, it works. Not for the reason people think. And it's like, no, it doesn't. It wouldn't. No. No. <laughs> what the fuck? Um, but anyway, so speaking of Dennings. Uh, Burke Dennings is the director of the film mm-hmm. uh, that Chris is starring in. And they are good friends. Right. Um, which I don't understand because... He's an asshole. Yeah, he is an asshole. Like, he is not... And he's a drunk. I mean, he he's is, not... He just doesn't... I mean, maybe, you know... It's And it's not even like he's just a drunk. He is a raging drunk. He's a raging drunk, and he's, like, not a nice drunk. Right? No, he's um, not. When they send him off from the party... Are they sending him off to drive home? No, he has a driver. Okay, that's what I thought, because they're. I know at one point they were like, I hope he gets home okay. And I'm like... I mean, I think they were just hoping he got to the car. Right. <laughs> and then from the car into his house. Because Jesus. No, 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 no. He wasn't driving. They, she actually explicitly says, so-and-so is waiting he, with your that's car. That's what I thought. I was yeah. like... I was, it was... It just... Just the fact that they mentioned, like, I hope he gets home okay. It was, yeah. like, a little confusing. Right. But... I think they just were hoping that he didn't just, like, yeah. you know, stroke out on the way there. Right. Because, I mean, Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. the amount of alcohol that man had in his system. Just calling people Nazis. <laughs> right. So, Chris comes home after a conversation with the doctors, mm-hmm. a very frustrating conversation for the doctors, for her, uh, to find the house empty, mm-hmm. to find Reagan asleep and alone, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, she, and then Sharon comes home, the name, right. and she said, oh, I want to get this Thorazine. <laughs> <laughs> Which, like, I'm sorry, the child's on what? Um, <laughs> right. Yikes. Um, and she's like, how could you leave her alone? And she's like, I didn't. Burke was here. And then they just sort of assume that he, like, wandered off. Right, because, because Burke. he's a drunk. Yeah. Right. And he's not reliable. Mm-hmm. Um, but, in fact, she is then informed that Burke Dennings has died. Mm-hmm. And she drives right past where he was, where he died. Right. She like sees he, the crowd. Yeah. Cause it's, I mean, right and next the door. Police, it's right next door. It's right at the bottom of those stairs. Mm-hmm. I've also been on those stairs, by the way. I don't like you. I'm sorry. I want to go on those stairs. And go to DC. You're still there. I need to go back. Mm-hmm. 
I was there. I didn't think about him when mm-hmm. I was there. But yeah, no, I, I was, I was very adamant. Was yeah. Like, oh, um, it's just a staircase. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the, the staircase. staircase. <laughs> <laughs> um, Chris knows right away what happened to Bert Dennings. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, she knows what's up. She doesn't say anything, obviously. Um, and she doesn't... She is sort of evasive with uh, Detective Kinderman, mm-hmm. who is homicide, which is like, oh, why would homicide be assigned to this case he fell down the stairs right well as it turns out his head was turned around completely backwards um so the idea that he died just from the fall Mm -hmm. that he wasn't killed and then pushed down the stairs uh kinderman doesn't buy that right so uh so just to tie into because so earlier in the film Mm -hmm. uh at the church i believe that Karis is at like that he that he is a part of mm-hmm. um the virgin mary statue is defaced oh yes that is true yes mm-hmm. the virgin mary statue is defaced um and kinderman thinks that there is a connection mm-hmm. between this defacement and this murder of burke denks mm-hmm. it is after dennings dies and chris knows in her heart of hearts that mm-hmm. reagan killed him um, though you don't see it. No, you, you don't. You don't see him die at all. Nope. You don't see him fall down the stairs. It's not, like, left ambiguous whether it was an accident or not. She, she just drives past a crowd and then someone walks in to tell her he's been killed. Mm-hmm. That is the point that she starts to seriously consider an exorcism. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, because that's when, like, and it's not like shit hasn't already hit the fan with Reagan, but this is when, like, Reagan is, uh masturbating with the uh crucifix yes that is what happened Mm -hmm. also like can can i can i and i'm not like this has nothing to do with the fact that you just said it it's like how this scene is referred to and it drives me crazy so can i just like rant about it for a small second Mm -hmm. reagan is not masturbating with a crucifix no she's not she's stabbing herself in the crotch with a crucifix. she is self-mutilating yes and those are two very different words (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah you know i said it and like even when i read it when they when they refer to it as her masturbating with yeah I mean, uh, well i mean that's how everyone like, refers to the scene but she's definitely not she's not like it is definitely not a pleasurable experience for right anyone. for anyone and like it it's it's you know it's it's kind of like i don't know i i feel like it's a it's like this very sort of um you know prudish ideas about masturbation mm-hmm. right and and it's just like that's not what's happening there no they could have filmed it to make it look like she was masturbating with a crucifix mm-hmm. that's not what it was that's what she does in the uh you know when they reference it her in a scary movie she's she is masturbating at, right with the crucifix yes exactly yeah <laughs> what she's doing in the film is self-mutilating yes right so yes so she vomits on him. Mm-hmm. It's unpleasant. Because he, he challenges her. He takes that as evidence that she is not possessed. Right. Right. Um, it is not until Chris confides in him 
that she believes that her daughter murdered Burke Dennings. Mm-hmm. That he begins to seriously consider performing an exorcism, mm-hmm. which is something that he's never done. Right. Right. Like he's a thoroughly modern. He's a Jesuit. He's he's a psychologist. Right. Like he's he's not. He's 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 had his entire career inside the U.S. Like this is mm-hmm. not something that he even really knows. He even says at one point, he's like, I'd have to read it. Like, I don't even know what the rules are Mm -hmm. to officially, you know, call for an exorcism. I have to read it to even know what I'm supposed to be looking for. Right. Yeah, he's like, when she... Yes, like, when Chris asked him, like, aren't you a professional on this? And he's like, no. I know as much as you do about exorcisms. Like, these aren't a thing that happen anymore. Right. There's not really a priest that's alive that does it. Except for one. Except for one. So he does eventually go to the archdiocese and ask for permission to perform the mm-hmm. exorcism. I just wanted to say the two things that that really get him to go oh, sure. to see yeah. them mm-hmm. um, is one, so she's talking in tongues, right? Mm-hmm. They end up discovering, because the whole thing is like, is she talking in a, t- a different language? Right, because if she was speaking in a language she did not ever learn, that is strong evidence for supernatural happenings. Right. However, while she isn't speaking in another language, she's speaking in reverse. Right. Which is, to me, equally horrifying. Um, Perhaps more so. I mean, I can't talk backwards. <laughs> um, and in tongues, at the same point. Like, she's she has multiple voices that are coming out of her Right, body, there like, are absolutely multiple voices that are coming out of her. Mm-hmm. At the um, same time. And then I think the final straw is when he gets called back to the house. This is after Oh, yes, I'm sorry. I, I can't believe I left that out. When he... Yes. <laughs> like, pretty big scene. Right. He gets called back to the house, and... Um, oh, I just forgot her name. Sharon. Sharon. By Sharon. You. Sharon Sharon specifically asks him to be quiet because he, mm-hmm. she does not want Chris to see it. Because, I right. mean, obviously Chris is exhausted. Right. And oh, she yeah, actually has gone to sleep. Mm-hmm. So Sharon doesn't want to wake her. Mm-hmm. But he goes into the room and you see, help me, as a scar on her stomach. Mm-hmm. A raised scar. Yes. Right. So I think that is... The reason that that's so brilliant is, first of all, they watch it raise. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, it's like she's breaking out in hives, but the hives are words. Right. Right? But it's like, there's no way she could have done that to herself. Because she's tied up to the bed. Well, she's tied up to the bed, and even if she'd managed to, like, get out of the restraints and then put herself back in, mm-hmm. you know, there's no way to make it raised. Right. Like, it would have been carved into her skin, mm-hmm. but it raised out of her skin. Right. Implying that somebody was inside. Mm-hmm pushing out to say help me right right um so yes obviously a very important moment where he's like okay fuck this <laughs> right we gotta we gotta do the thing i'm going to talk to the dude excuse me bishop there's some fuckery <laughs> we need to fix it please we need to bring in the jesus mm-hmm. we need to have a come to jesus talk with this child quite literally yes <laughs> come to jesus <laughs> um so, but the archdiocese doesn't want him to perform it alone because he has absolutely no experience with these things. And right. so, but 
they do like the idea of him being present because he is a psychologist and because even the church doesn't really believe in this mm-hmm. anymore, right? So they call in Marin. Um, Marin shows up. He is, like, 100%. He's, like, ready for it. He's, like, waiting for the call because yeah. he knew that the devil was afoot, mm-hmm. literally, because he had his whole little, like, stare down with Pazuzu. Right. And had a premonition that evil was coming. Mm-hmm. He just didn't know where. So... Right. And with Pazuzu being a demon of the wind. Right. He floated on that wind all over to Georgetown. All the way over to Georgetown. <laughs> He's like, it's hot here. I want to get out of this. Yeah, I'm going east. <laughs> um, nice, nice coastal breeze. <laughs> it's not really that coastal. Um, <laughs> yeah, close enough. I mean, it's it's kind of it's, it's there. It's closer to it than a lot of things. Yes. Um, so Marin and Karis begin performing the exorcism. Mm-hmm. At which point, of course any doubt that anyone had about whether or not there's something supernatural going on <laughs> right yeah flies out the window gone um a lot of things fly out that window yep in this movie yep <laughs> we'll get to that last one soon we'll, we'll get to that <laughs> in a second um so Marin warns Karis that the demon is going to try to trick them yep and that he should not engage directly with the demon that he should only ask it questions that are relevant for information they need to know and that he should stick to the words of the ritual. Mm-hmm. Karis has a little trouble with this once the girl starts floating off of her bed. <laughs> and really, you can't blame him. That would yeah. be alarming, to say the least. Yeah. Um, your mother sucks cocks in hell, Karis. <laughs> your mother sucks cocks in hell. <laughs> it's a beautiful moment. It's a beautiful moment. She Um, doesn't. She's a wonderful lady. (laughs) She wasn't in hell. No. She went to heaven. She went to heaven. She was a very good Catholic. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. Um, So anyway, they decide to take break after they finally manage to get Reagan to come back down to her bed. (laughs) (laughs) Right. They're like, maybe we step out for a sec. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, especially with uh, Karis, like... Oh, Karis reacting. Yes. Yeah. Like, Marin is like, get out of here. <laughs> yeah. And and then, you know, Marin comes out and he's like, she's quiet for now, I'm going to take a break. Mm-hmm. Um, goes back in. Has a heart attack. Yep. We know that his health is failing, mm-hmm. right? Um, first, he... Even after his encounter with the statue... He takes a nitroglycerin pill. Right. Right. Um, which he also takes during the exorcism. Mm-hmm. And he is in, he's kind of in a, when they call him, he's kind of in like a convalescent home. Right. Like recovering from the exhaustion of his trip. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is like not really something a healthy person would necessarily need to do, you know? Um, so we know that he's ill. Mm-hmm. And so he is gone. Karis comes in and finds him, tries to revive him, is not able to. Um, you know, the demon, I won't say Reagan, the demon is maniacally laughing. Um, so he starts to wrestle with Reagan, mm-hmm. who, of course, is, like, beating the shit out of him. Right. And 
he offers himself to the demon. Right? Which is not in the Roman ritual. Definitely not supposed to do that. But that's what he does. He says, take me instead. The demon comes into him. His eyes get all green. That's how you know. (laughs) The green eyes, that's a tell. That's how it is. And then... He reaches for Reagan, who is now, of course, just a little child again, balled mm-hmm. up on the floor, severely injured and very confused and very scared. Right. Very cold, because that room was literally a freezer. Yep. Literally a freezer. <laughs> they filmed that in a freezer. Um, uh, but Karis manages to overpower the demon and throw himself out the window. Mm-hmm. And he falls down the stairs. Fun fact. When they filmed that scene and the stuntman was like, you know, throwing himself down the stairs. Mm-hmm. Um, they are stone stairs. They had like a three inch uh, thick padding attached to it for the actual filming of the actual scene. Um, Georgetown students who lived in the apartments across the way, like they're like sort of student student housing or right. even if it's not student housing, it's just like. An apartment building where a lot of students lived. Mm -hmm. Like, even if it was an official student housing. Um, They were charging people five bucks a pop to watch that scene being filmed from the roof. Of the apartment building across the street. (laughs) I mean, genius. Genius. I mean, just like, yeah. I'd pay five bucks. Right. Like, watch this guy, watch this guy throw himself down these stairs, however many takes that took. Right. Um, So, uh... So it it works. Mm-hmm. His faith, which he has been grappling with the entire film, is restored. Mm-hmm. Right? He is redeemed. Father Dyer, quite luckily, <laughs> happens to be walking by. Yeah, I know. I'm like, where, where'd you come from? <laughs> he just, like, runs in. It's like, did you just see your friend come flying out of that window like right i mean there was a crowd like a crowd gathers because another guy just fell down these stairs right Mm -hmm. but um so he comes and and he he administers last rites yes right um ostensibly saving karis's soul Mm -hmm. however if you've read legion or seen the exorcist 3 you know that that process took a little bit longer right then but as far as the movie, as far as this film is concerned, it's over. Reagan doesn't remember any of it. Mm-hmm. Chris takes her back to L.A. End of film. The only other thing that that does happen, hmm. which I, I had a question about, actually, because I, I clearly missed a little blip from okay. this movie. Okay. Uh, Chris gives Dyer Pazuzu's, uh, medallion. So that is not, so that medallion does not belong to Pazuzu. It's, well, right. It's the one that's found, is that not the one that's found, though, with it? No. It's just the one that he happens to have that looks very similar to it. It is a St. Christopher medal. Okay. That Karis wears. And Reagan... Ripped it off of him. Ripped right. it off of him. Actually, right before it's it's implied almost that that necklace had to come off of him 
in order for the demon to transfer from Reagan. Which would to make Damien. sense while that medallion was with that statue because it was protecting right. it was keeping the demon inside of that statue. Right. <laughs> right. That somebody were made. Right. That somebody at some point had put that there. Right. Right. Um so the reason that she gives it to Dyer mm-hmm. is because he and Damien were friends. Right. And so, and she knew that it was Damien's. Right. So we should talk about the production, like beyond the casting, because the yes. production of this film is notorious. Yes. For a number of reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a few fun things that happen during and at the... There's, there's a few fun things that happen with this set. Mm-hmm. Both the set itself and the people that are involved with filming. Mm-hmm. So, of course, there's a a major theory that this, that this set is cursed, right? Mm-hmm. So, Ellen Burstyn uh, ended up, like, hurting her back. So well, did Linda Blair. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So, when... Um, I actually think it was the same scene. No, it wasn't. So it was Ellen Burstyn got injured during the self-mutilation scene. Ellen Burstyn got injured during the self-mutilation scene because that bureau that falls on her actually fell. Oh. Um, Linda Blair got injured because in the scene where she is being forcefully just whipped up and down yeah. in the bed. The apparatus into which she was strapped malfunctioned mm-hmm. and one of the straps broke. So she was actually being like slapped against that apparatus. Oh. And she got injured. And uh, the, I mean, the story is, is that that's the take that they used. Oh, yeah. So that that's, that's the, her screaming, make it stop was real. I don't know if that's true. Yeah. Um, I like the theory. I like the theory. I mean, I, it would make sense given, you know, some of the other bullshit that freaking pulled and right. we'll get to that. Yes. <laughs> but. Um, so, of course, um, Max von Sydow's brother died on the first day of his filming. Mm-hmm. Jason Miller's son got into an accident. Mm-hmm. Just a lot of, like, bad things happen to people. Like, there are rumors that at least nine people died while they were filming. Mm-hmm. Again, not entirely sure that's true. But, so, here's the one. Here's my favorite. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, all of the exterior shots um, were of an actual house that no longer stands, but at the time stood at, um, right, right next to the stairs. Mm-hmm. Um, at, uh, on M street and, but the interior scenes were filmed in New York right. in a soundstage. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so filming was delayed because right before filming or immediately after the beginning of filming, most of that set burned down. Right. The only room that didn't was the bedroom. Fucking A. Now, the reason for that is because the bedroom was a fucking freezer. Like, right. It was made of 
but still it's great right like right. it's so much fun like oh the burn everything burned down except for the room that reagan was in <laughs> right <laughs> i love the um so I, I saw a little thing on it that uh when that happens mm-hmm. um uh william friedkin got a call at four o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. from like the production designer or whatever right and was like was told like yeah, you just don't need to come in today. The uh, the house set is currently burning down. It's currently burning down. Like, they called <laughs> like, him while it was burning. Yes. Four o'clock in the morning. Perfect timing. Well, and I love, like... Could you find anywhere where they said how that fire started? The There is a theory that I saw, and that was all that I found. Okay. The theory is... Um, so, apparently, in that soundstage, mm-hmm. there was a lot of pigeons. What? Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that is literally the last thing I expected you to say. <laughs> yep. Why were there pigeons? Um, because New York. Okay. All right. Carry on. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's, okay, that's, fine. There were pigeons. That's literally the only reason that I can have behind that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are pigeons in there. And supposedly what they're thinking is that one of the pigeons flew into one of the lights and then the electrical fire happened. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe that. <laughs> I don't either. I don't think that that was a thing, but I but mean, but I mean, it would it would spark. Yeah, it would spark. It would cause a thing to happen, but I don't know if it would necessarily cause a fire. But I mean, why would the lights have been on at four o'clock in the morning? Right. If they weren't filming, because like no one got hurt in the fire, no one was there. Right. Yeah, I I mean, like, don't get me wrong, stage lights are fucking like. Like, back in the day, oh, stage yeah. lights were such a hazard. <laughs> well, I mean, everything was a hazard. Like right. the, I mean, if, if a single ash from somebody's cigarette had fallen on the fucking silver nitrate in that camera. Oh, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. whole thing up in flames. Yep. Like, any, like, it's, it's not surprising that the set burned down. Any number of things could have caused the fire. Right. I just couldn't find any documented record that was the only thing that i found it it was just a theory it was just like somebody's like i know what happened yeah <laughs> i believe that was from an interview mm-hmm. but like so like it's someone that was a part of the movie production said it mm-hmm. but they're like it's just speculation they don't right. i don't think they actually know what happened with the fire okay so i mean you know it's it's kind of like all the all the shit with like the wizard of oz set yes where they're like somebody said it's like somebody's pulling your leg right <laughs> <laughs> fucking pigeons right <laughs> oh and the only other thing that i know of that happened too is uh with jack mcgowan who played the horrendous director he was the actor that played the oh. um, who who played um Burke. Burke. yeah what, what um he died after filming before the movie released from the flu oh that was his last movie that he was in oh interesting mm-hmm. i actually did i didn't know that one mm-hmm. um so yeah, so that is the the supposed curse was one reason that the the production is notorious. The mm-hmm. second reason is Friedkin. Right. And let me just say this because we already talked about The Shining. Mhm. And all of these fucking <laughs> <laughs> all of these fucking like new Hollywood auteurs Mm-hmm. In like the seventies and the eighties, like Kubrick, like Friedkin, like and I mean it hasn't stopped. Like you could say the same thing about fucking Tarantino. Yeah. So okay, if you are a filmmaker, if you have aspirations to become a filmmaker, mm-hmm. I implore you. Do not abuse your actors, for the sake of your art. 
trust your actors. Trust that they will be able to act without you actually causing them physical harm. Mm-hmm. Or emotional distress. Right. Right? Like, there is so much, like... Like, I, I want to tell these stories because they're interesting, but I don't want to make it sound like we're at all condoning this behavior, right? Because, like, it is... It's so common and it's held up so often as, like, this... Um, example of dedication to the craft or something but like in my opinion if you have to slap somebody across the face in order to get a genuine reaction out of them or what you think is a genuine reaction either you need a better actor Mm -hmm. or you need to be better at your job because you shouldn't have to do that right and he did he like um oh it was o'malley he slapped o'malley in the face he slapped the priest (laughs) In the face, right before he did the last right scene, in order to evoke, like, genuine distress from him. He slapped a fucking priest? He slapped a priest! (laughs) (laughs) Okay, folks, like, this is just going, like, this doesn't even tie in necessarily to directing. Just don't slap a priest. (laughs) (laughs) Really don't slap anybody. Well, I mean, keep your hands to yourself. Keep your hands to yourself, but on the hierarchy of people you should not slap, like... Old ladies, children, fucking priests. Yeah, right. Do it. Like, um, yeah. I mean, it's one thing. Okay, so it's one thing if like the actors are, for example, Kubrick. Right. Mm-hmm. Kubrick's antics were just fine with Jack Nicholson. Like Jack Nicholson was on board for his antics. Right. Shelley Duvall was not. Right. Right. And he actually like treated Shelley Duvall worse mm-hmm. because she wasn't on board with the antics. Right. Right. So like, if it is that like there is. Because I will say that. It's like, O'Malley didn't actually give him permission to slap him, but he, like, freaking asked him if he trusted him, and he said yes, and then he slapped him in his face. (laughs) (laughs) Which is like, listen, Betty Davis, settle down. Like, what the fuck? Right. (laughs) Such a drama. Like, anyway. Um, But he also, like, we made the joke earlier about keeping your mouth closed when somebody's vomiting on you. (laughs) The reason that Karis's mouth wasn't closed when that happened is because he didn't tell Jason Miller that was going to happen. <laughs> he knew that there was going to be, like, stuff coming out of the child. Right. He was told that it would hit him in the abdomen. Just happened to hit him in the face instead. Right. I mean, you know, there were claims. I believe that freaking claimed that the, the prop malfunctioned right but given again it's hard to believe that when he says that shit based on all of the other mm-hmm. stunts that he pulled for example he would um what was the other thing that he did that pissed me off oh so he had a gun with blanks in it right and he would just shoot it off to scare them what the fuck i mean maybe it was a, maybe it was a spark from the goddamn gun that started the fire. <laughs> right Bill. Just don't do it. Just don't do it. Just don't. Plenty of people Mm -hmm. have managed to give incredible performances without being in physical or emotional distress. (laughs) Trust your actors. Bill. I mean, at least a great movie came out of it, but that doesn't give you a right. Right. Exactly. And I think that that's that's why I wanted to address it. Because... These new Hollywood auteurs 
did make incredible films mm -hmm. and they are incredibly talented. And like this, this, I mean, this movie changed the direction of movies, mm -hmm. right? Um, I mean, especially of horror movies, but really of, of cinema in general. Right. Um, but like, you know, you always hesitate to like build that part of it up too much. Because like, Ellen Burstyn's a great actress. Mm -hmm. Jason Miller was a stage actor. So like, if anything, he, he would have been better at bigger reactions than a film actor. You know what I mean? Like, he would have been able to give him whatever he wanted. Right. Um, you know, and, and Cooper's the same way. It's just like that this, this idea and this general idea, it's not just in film, right? I'm an art historian. This idea is prevalent. Uh -huh. Like where that genius excuses all behavior. Right. And it does not. Nope. Mm -mm. Um, but yeah, great movie. Mm -hmm. Don't be an asshole. Don't be an asshole. Keep it together. Keep it together. Get it together, Bill. <laughs> um, really quick thing to throw out there, too, because sure. it's just because it's coming. There is a new Exorcist movie that is being made. That is true. I think it's supposed to release this year. I don't remember if it's this year or next year. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I think it got delayed. Because COVID. Because of COVID. Um, yes. So there is, I, I still don't know exactly what that movie is. They, they have said that it is not a remake. It is a sequel, but I'm like, but there already was a sequel. But of course that sequel is uh, notorious for not being good. Um, right. Yeah. The Exorcist 2 is, is really, really just not a good film. It's yeah. not even a good film in like the fun way. Right. It's just, it's just boring. <laughs> it's just boring. <laughs> it's um, real bad. So I'm curious to see how it goes. Um, the director mm -hmm. is known for the current Halloween franchise. So Halloween, Halloween Kills, Halloween, like the one that came whatever. out in 2018. Yeah. Um, <laughs> whatever the, the whatever they're calling dumbest it. Dumbest titles of all time. Right. But yes. So, okay. Um, you want to know what other movie he's known for? Sure. Pineapple Express. Really? <laughs> yeah. So really, this could this movie could be anything. It could anything. be anything. <laughs> I mean, I will say, like, Halloween, the, the 2018 remake. It's a solid film. Solid film. Mm -hmm. um, wonderfully shot. I mean, it's a little it's a little stereotypical Hollywood in a way, but, like, I feel like they did a really great job with it. No, they did do a good job. I mean, some, <laughs> of, some of the... I think that... How do I say this? I don't, I, I wouldn't blame any of its shortcomings. And I, I really did enjoy it. Like it is, mm -hmm. it's a solid film, but I, I mean, it's not perfect, right? No film is. Right. Um, I would not blame any of the shortcomings in that film on the director. Right. I think any of the shortcomings are in the writing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, production wise, I think it was really good. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so if, if he has a decent script, mm -hmm. I think it'll be good. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to, because also like how sequel are we talking about here? Are we right. talking about like, is this movie about Reagan McNeil? Right. Or is this just like, wh who does it involve? Cause basically everyone that's in this, that was in this movie is dead. Except for Linda Blair. Uh, right. And Alan Bernstein. Bernstein. Burns. Burstyn. Yeah. Burstyn. That's the one. <laughs> is she alive? Yeah. She's still alive. I thought that she 
How old is she? She's up there. She's getting to... Okay, so yeah. So Burston and Blair. So it could be about the McNeils. Yeah. Because everyone else, the actors who are dead, their mm-hmm. characters also died. I wonder if... Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, just going with like who survived the movie. Right. They have those people. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean... I wonder if they're going to pull a Halloween thing where they, it's Linda Blair's daughter. Kids, yeah. Getting possessed. I could see them doing that. Oh, for sure. I'm like, oh, so you're going to do Halloween? You're going to do the exact same thing. (laughs) Well, I mean, yeah, especially since it's the same. Director. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, hmm. Part of me is like, don't do that. But part of me is like, oh, that would work, though. I mean, it would work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I... (laughs) It's like her. So, the problem is, is that like the second that they said direct sequel, yeah, the repossessed theme song started going off in my head. So like, even <laughs> if it is supposed to be Reagan as an adult, like, and it's Linda Blair, I, I, am not sure I could watch that movie and take it seriously just because I would yeah. have Leslie Nielsen running through my head all the time. Re, 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 repossessed. <laughs> <laughs> We will see. We will, we will see how see. it turns out. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll check in with you when it mm-hmm. comes out. Don't worry. Because we will see it. It's going to happen. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's not like, let's be clear. Just right. because I'm dubious about this film doesn't mean I won't go see it. Oh, yeah. I mean, come I on. just, no. So, director, whoever you are, I don't remember what your name is. I'm going to look you up really quick. Just Guy. Halloween man. Halloween man. Listen here, Halloween man. Listen here, David Gordon Green. Yes. You. Um, I have expectations and I expect you to meet them. Join us next week for our next Scream Along. We will be watching My Bloody Valentine, of course. It's only appropriate. The 1981 version. Yes. Mm-hmm. We're, not getting in, we're not getting into remakes yet. And do all the originals. If we run out of movies, we'll start doing remakes. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's what Hollywood did, right? We could, um... And especially, like, when it comes to that one, like, mm, mm, it's not necessarily a remake I want to do. Even though it was one of the first 3D movies I ever saw in theaters. The remake? Mm-hmm. Was in 3D? Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> yep. The remake was in 3D. Fun stuff. Mm-hmm. All right. So that, that will be super fun. You can... Uh, Snuggle up with your sweetie over the weekend and watch My Bloody Valentine along with us. Mm-hmm. Till then, uh, rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify. We have an Instagram, F and Frights Podcast. We have a Twitter at F and Frights Pod. We have a website, F and Frights Podcast.com. Um, we have merch. If you go to fnfrightspodcast.com, you will find a link that will take you to our merch store. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. That's a thing. So if you wanna, if you wanna rep us or something like that, I'm never gonna say that again. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, you can always uh, scream at us at scream at fnfrightspodcast.com. And then, of course, we cannot forget about Fright Club, our Patreon. Head on over there. 
still have our uh, scream along of Chopping Mall. So if you listen to uh, next week's scream along and you decide that you want more of the same, you can go ahead and join our Fright Club and get just that. Sean, what is the first rule of Fright Club? The first rule of Fright Club is to be careful with Ouija boards. I mean, people. How many movies have you seen? I mean... Where this is an issue. It's, it, if you haven't grasped this concept by now... I mean, to be fair, this movie is from the 70s. However, we even have horror movies that are called Ouija... Literally. <laughs> if that's not warning enough, <laughs> don't do it. Right. <laughs> so, it's all fun and games. If you're playing with a Ouija board and you start hearing things, that's not how Ouija boards work. You're not supposed to hear shit. Nope. You're supposed to read it on the thing. So, if you start hearing things, you back away, you exit the room... Get some sage or something. Whatever you need mm. to do. Get a priest. I don't care. But, like, whatever your belief system, you cleanse that shit. Because you just opened a door that you don't want to open. No, you close that right back up. Nice and tight. Sorry, no one home. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. And so, gays and ghouls, tune in next Friday night. You'll be in for a fright. And until then, sleep tight. <laughs>